0: Thank you very much for the reading. (coughs) Uh, Good morning, everyone. Uh, My name's Caleb, as was uh, previously mentioned. Sorry, I've got a little bit of a tickle. (coughs) Uh, I was a fellow uh, student with Tim uh, for several years at the RTC, and then uh, my wife, uh, Claire, and I were on the same flight, on the same uh, row, actually, as Tim and Leah and the kids as they went over to WA Uh, for their vicaria, and we went to move over there permanently. It's where I'm from. Uh, And then uh, Tim actually ended up completing his uh, vicaria at my home church, uh, Willerton Reformed Church. So it seems uh, my life and Tim's life have been uh, wonderfully intertwined uh, these last few years, and now I'm up here uh, where Tim's been pastoring for just over 13 months, I think. Uh, So I just want to say thank you to Tim And to the other elders for allowing me uh, to bring God's word uh, to us all this morning. Uh, So this morning we're going to look particularly at verses uh, 20 to 25 of Mark's gospel there. But before we do that, uh, please join me in prayer. Lord God, Uh, We pray, as we always do, that you may illuminate the incredible words and truths of Scripture to each one of us here this morning uh, through the conviction and encouragement and power of the Holy Spirit. We ask that we may all uh, put aside pride and stubbornness and arrogance and embrace a true spirit of humility and openness and love as we submit to the words found in your word. It's in Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've ever gone to pray and not known uh, what to pray for. Perhaps there's times uh, when you know what to pray for, but struggle to articulate the right words. Maybe we have a hard time even coming to God in prayer. And when we do, it's a rushed prayer. It's an unconsidered prayer, or it's just thrown up to God as the last thing you do before you fall asleep. for some of us when we pray, we would say that we don't even feel anything at all. It feels just like words bouncing off the ceiling, or for maybe for some of us, praying feels like a burden. There are times I'm sure when a prayer has just become the response you say to someone when they're struggling or going through a difficult situation. You just say, I'll pray for you. And perhaps for some of us here today, whether we're a new or lifelong Christians, prayer may be something that we know we get to do or even should be doing, but that often it's something that we forget to do. And if any of these describe how it is that you come to prayer, then may these verses in Mark be greatly encouraging and convicting for us this morning. And as we go through the passage, we're going to draw out three foundational pillars of prayer that Jesus provides in his answers to the disciples and that we can apply to our life today. So the three pillars we're going to be looking at is faith in prayer, Uh, the power of prayer and the heart of prayer. Yes, perfect. Uh, So let's look at the first one, faith in prayer. Uh, So as was uh, read just a moment ago, uh, as Jesus was uh, turning over the tables, sorry, after Jesus was turning over the tables in the temple and uh, gives the priest and teachers a good scolding, he and the disciples are walking back out of Jerusalem uh, through Bethany, and Peter notices the fig tree that Jesus cursed. It's all dried up. It's withered from its very roots. And we look there at verses 20 to 25. Peter is astonished and exclaims to Jesus, the fig tree you cursed has withered. In verse 22, we see Jesus' response. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Peter's statement here calls Jesus to make a statement of his own. Jesus is telling Peter and the other disciples to have faith. This is not a suggestion from Jesus. It's not just a recommendation. It is a command. It is required. Now Jesus' response may seem kind of out of context. Uh, Maybe Jesus is bringing up a new topic to Peter and he's seemingly uh, addressing something other than the withered tree. But in fact, Jesus is referencing uh, both Peter's remarks uh, towards the withered tree uh, and to what transpired earlier in the temple. And we see Jesus go from a cursing and condemning to now calling them to have faith in God. So why is Jesus uh, doing this? What's the connection here? Well, one reading of this passage is a very kind of a Jewish contextual understanding of it and it goes uh, as follow, that follows. That Jesus is condemned, uh, condemning the fig tree for not having uh, figs even though it should have and jesus condemns the temple for their old way of operating in the temple through their practices and their sacrifices that they make and jesus is condemning too, condemning too the fact that they're uh, pricing up the the doves and various other things for the people to buy and making little bits of money for themselves and so now in this section uh, in verses 20 to 25 Uh, The understanding is that as the disciples saw the withered fig tree, they worried about how it is that they would reach God, how they would gain forgiveness from God if the temple and and the old sacrifices are gone. The temple was meant to show the people's faithfulness, but it was now void and instead it became uh, a place of business and, as Jesus said, a den of Thieves. And so here, Jesus is reassuring them to have faith in God, to have faith in the new temple ways, that is, in Jesus, that the power is not in the temple and that forgiveness comes from God, not from the sacrifice. And this uh, reading, I believe, definitely has some uh, merit and some good application to it. And in Jesus uh, could be speaking to the disciples with this in mind. Uh, if you'd like to read uh, more about this, I have a, a thesis I can uh, hand to you. Uh, but I want to suggest that as is usually the case with Jesus, there is something more going on here. There is always something deeper. There is always something direct to the heart, always something that Jesus is speaking to our soul. And so Jesus says here, have faith in God. The point of faith and belief is so important here that Jesus repeats it multiple times uh, in these verses. says in verse 22, uh, have faith in God. Verse 23, whoever does not doubt in his heart but believes. Verse 24, believe that you have received. Have faith and believe, Jesus is saying, in my authority to command, to perform miracles, in my authority over priests and temples and creation. And then he says to them, have faith in prayer. Jesus is saying to his disciples and by extension to us here today, believe that God can hear you when you pray. Have faith that God will answer you. Have faith that God will act. Have faith and believe. And what does verse 23, 24 say? It will be done for him. Pick up a mountain and throw it into the sea. Done. Uh, Whatever you ask for, it will be yours. And, And whatever is a broad term. So he means whatever. That sounds pretty awesome, doesn't it? If that was the case, imagine the disciples. They were standing, uh, most believe, looking at the Mount of Olives that led uh, down below to some uh, 4,000 feet down to the ocean. And so you can imagine the disciples going one by one, uh, believing they can literally pick up the mountain and throw it into the sea. And as they do, each one fails. But didn't Jesus just say, everything you pray for will be given to you? It will happen. And yes, if we're to take this verse out of context, if we're to isolate it from the rest of scripture, then yes, you can see how people interpret it that way. And there are preachers, there are churches, there are whole ministries that are built upon this way of thinking. But that is a dangerous application to take and so it's vital that we have the right understanding of what Jesus is saying here what Jesus is not saying is I'm a magical genie you make a wish and poof you've got it you're just to name it and claim it whatever you want and we know don't we church that the faith and belief that God will answer our prayer is not for us to treat God like a vending machine. We don't just send up a prayer in faith and then out pops the answers. And we also know that throughout Scripture, the Bible is clear as to how we are to properly and appropriately come to God in prayer. We are instructed to not pray for our own selfish desires, our own wills, but James 4 reminds us uh, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So what then is asking rightly? Well, 1 John 5 goes on to say, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask acor- anything according to his will, he will hear us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request. That we have asked of Him. So we are to pray with our hearts aligned with God's will, with God's desires. And we can only do that by having our hearts changed by God, by having our hearts consumed by the Holy Spirit. And when we come to God, when we cry out to Him on our knees, giving Him the concerns of our heart, we know and can be sure that he hears us. We can be sure that God answers us. And his answers are always good and right. They are always perfectly according to his divine and sovereign will. Matthew 7:11 says, if you then who are evil know how to give uh, good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven Give good things to those who ask him. When you pray for a sick, a sick loved one, when you're praying in a crisis or a struggle in your life, we can pray with the eager expectation that God hears and that he will answer. But there may be on occasion, like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, where God's answer is no. And it's in those times, though we may struggle to understand his answer of no or maybe even his answer of not yet, that we may rest in the promises of God, in his plan and the providence to his glory. And we're to exhibit true faith and belief so that we can pray, your will be done. When we come to God in prayer, surely it's a good thing to know what it is that we're asking him to be clear and to be certain in our prayers. One great practical way to do this is to uh, have a prayer list. And uh, whenever you go to pray, you you take one thing off that list or maybe uh, pray down, and you pray with purpose and earnestness and a desire for an outcome. But often we can come to God and we can kind of pray around the things that we really want to bring to him. We can ramble on without saying much. Or maybe we can pray with a kind of perfunctory, a performative prayer full of big theological terms. But God doesn't really care about any of that. What God cares about is your heart and your conviction in your prayer. What God wants, and he can tell, is genuine faith and belief in the words that you're saying. If a short prayer is all that you can muster, then pray that. If you wish for God to stop a hurt or to show mercy, to give you grace, be simple and direct to him. And when your heart is breaking and there's no words to be found, we know Romans says, the Spirit himself intercedes with us uh, before us with groanings too deep for words. So may we have faith not in our own desires and dreams, but rather placed in the one who has authority over all things, the God who brings about every result. Well that's the the first pillar of effective prayer, to have faith in prayer. And the second which we'll look at now is the power of prayer. Uh, When Jesus says to the disciples in verses uh, 23 and 24, uh, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and uh, be thrown into the sea, what Jesus is actually doing here is taking a popular idea uh, and phrase and reinterpreting it to shine a light on a biblical truth about prayer and about God. So in the Babylonian uh, Talmud, uh, there were some special rabbis who, were, uh, who would be going, people would go to them to solve uh, difficult issues in their life. And these rabbis were seen as extremely knowledgeable and gifted. They were seen as a kind of holy and godly. And they were known as the rooter-ups of mountains. And so Jesus is saying here to his disciples, are uh, you too, not just some special rabbi, uh, can tell that mountain where to go? Are uh, you too, not just some uh, knowledgeable rabbi, can pick it up and throw it into the sea? Now, what was Jesus saying, to this, uh, saying this to the disciples because they were even more special than they thought? Because they had a closer relationship to Jesus? Were they? even better and more holy than those rabbis? Were they a chosen, special, unique group? Well, we know throughout the Gospels, don't we, that they argued, they doubted, they were normal men just like you and me. And yet Jesus is saying to them, you too can do this. And Jesus is saying to us here today, we too can do this. We have this and we can do this not just because of the power in ourselves because surely we know that we have none but that through the Holy Spirit, or through Christ, through the power of the Father we are able to do this and prayer has power not because it's coming from a particular holy or godly person but because of the one we're praying to. Prayer is effective and powerful because it makes mountains move through faith. We see in verse 23 uh, what he says will come to pass. Uh, it will be done for him. Verse 24, uh, it will be yours. There is power in prayer because through the answering of our prayers, God affects our lives and the lives of those around us. And prayer has been described as God's will uncovered in another shape. And prayers are God's promises breathed out by his people. God has given us a powerful weapon in prayer. And yet so often you and I don't really use it with the full power. We can at times be embarrassed to pray in front or for other people. We can be uncertain in its usefulness and effect. We want something real and tangible, something practical and helpful. And we see this all the time (coughs) in tragedies, don't we? That people's first response are just to say, well, thoughts and prayers. And sadly, this idea of of thoughts and, and praying for those has become somewhat of a cliche for anyone and everyone to use. So much so that it's kind of lost its meaning. It's become a crutch with which people use so that they don't actually have to do anything practically. And people then say to us, we don't want your prayers. We want action. We want an answer. We want change. And sometimes... It's not just others saying that to those who offer prayers, but it's us saying it to God too. God, I'm praying. I'm asking. I'm believing. And yet nothing is happening. No change is occurring. Can you even do this? Am I wrong to trust you? Do you even care that there is so much sorrow and pain and hurt and evil? Or even, dare we say, Is this too big for you, God? When we struggle to believe in the power of prayer, what we're really saying is that we struggle to believe in the effect and power of God. This then is when we should turn to scriptures and see that God does answer prayers. And he does have the power to change the real, the tangible in our world. One of the most powerful examples of this that we see in Scripture is in uh, Joshua 10. Joshua and the mighty uh, men of valor are battling the Ammonites, and Joshua cries out to God to keep the sun from going down so that they may defeat their enemies. Uh, Chapter 10, uh, verse 13 of Joshua says, The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. One commentator says of this, uh, did God not hear the prayers of his people? Did God not show his power to stop it, it's, the sun in its orbit so that it stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set? That is the power of of prayer and that's the power of the god that we pray to he commands everything according to his will when we pray with the right desire to god he will hear us he will act nothing no person nor or any creation can stand in his way and so christ is saying uh, here in mark to his disciples through prayer you too have power and that God has power to enact our prayers and to achieve our prayers and this is another great reason to have a prayer list so that you're able to look back through and see how God has specifically answered your prayers and we can often when we do that see how uh, differently and how in the different time that God answers them. And it allows us to see if in our prayer list there's something more that we need to pray about. It's a great way to see the power of prayer. And so that's the second pillar, the power of prayer. And now we come to our last point, uh, having the right heart of prayer. We read there in verse uh, 25. Uh, and whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. And here, once again, Jesus is kind of pivoting a little bit. This time it's to us and to those around us. And there is always a relationship between our, a vertical relationship between us and God, and our horizontal relationship between us and other people. And so Jesus here is talking about our hearts and how we come to prayer, having hearts of forgiveness. Now, there are uh, three main ways that the Jews would pray. They would bow down, they would kneel, and they would uh, stand and pray. And what Jesus is saying here is not that uh, standing is the only way to pray, though that was kind of the most common way uh, to pray in the temple. But here he's saying whenever you go to pray whatever position that may be when you do think about your brothers and sisters be aware of how you're treating them uh, Ephesians 4:32 uh, speaks to this it says be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you and Jesus says the same in verse 25 forgive so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. He is instructing uh, each one of us, those of us who may be holding a grudge, those of us who are holding uh, out forgiveness away from someone else to forgive. And now it's not saying here just blithely forgive anyone and everyone, that it should just be waters off a duck's back to just brush it off, to forgive and forget. I don't believe that's the type of forgiveness Jesus is talking about here because that's not the way that we see God forgiving us. God doesn't forgive us for unrepentant sin, but rather he offers forgiveness for those who humbly come and confess their sin before him. And so in verse 25, this too is not talking about forgiving those who have wronged you and haven't sought restitution. But rather it's saying, if they have come to you repentant and humbly seeking your forgiveness, we should be able to forgive them. Don't hold it against them. Don't turn your back on them. Don't seek your own retaliation, but forgive them. And Jesus addresses this in Matthew uh, 18 uh, when talking about how uh, often, uh, how much are you to forgive someone? He says, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And you might notice uh, in your at the end of verse 25 in your Bibles, there might be a footnote there perhaps, uh, and some manuscripts uh, have uh, a verse 26 here. Uh, the verse 26 uh, is is there in the Greek, it's kind of part of, the verse 25, all in one. Uh, And the reason you might not see it in your translation is they think that perhaps uh, that was added from Matthew's Lord's Prayer and kind of added to the end of that, not really part of Mark's uh, organic account. Uh, But verse uh, 26 says this, But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your trespasses. And really what we see here in both Verse 25 and then verse 26 here is Jesus' emphasis and emphatic nature through the repetition here regarding how we are to view forgiveness. Jesus is saying to you, if you have not forgiven your brother or sister or your friend, your parents, those who have come to you and apologised, God will not forgive your sins. He cannot forgive sins that have not been confessed. For it is a sin for us to hold the forgiveness uh, to those who seek it when we lean on the forgiveness offered by God for our sins. We should not dare to come to him wrongly and then expect for him to give to us rightfully. We are but lowly sinners condemned by sin to hell for trespassing against God whose only way back to him was through uh, his beloved son, Christ Jesus, who took on to himself our sins and our debts, that Jesus who died the death we deserve and who rose again to defeat sin, death and the devil has made us right before God. And we who through Christ have been made a way for us to stand blameless before him, who made it possible to be in right relationship with him who has forgiven us our sins through Christ. And if God has done all of that to us and for us, if you've truly felt his grace and forgiveness, how could we possibly hold out forgiveness to someone else? How could we possibly turn away a repentant brother or sister and then come to God with the right heart when we've not displayed that right heart to others how can we come with one hand up to god in prayer while the other is weighed down in sin 1 corinthians 13 speaks to this it says if we can have faith to move mountains but not love we are nothing or if we have not forgiveness as god has forgiven us we are like a clanging symbol and we lack faith hope and love. And as the, Lord pray, as the Lord's prayer says, we should be praying, Father, forgive us as we have forgiven those who trespass against us. And if you're here this morning and you've never asked God for forgiveness, if you've never worried about praying to Him, you've thought that God doesn't care about your prayers, or that God does not or will not hear or answer your prayers. May you be encouraged to eagerly pray out to God. That you may taste the goodness of a faith-filled, powerful, heartfelt prayer. That it's not too late to pray to him now in this very moment, being assured that God will hear the cry of a sinner turning to the Saviour. These are God's very favourite types of prayers the ones he listens to with joy and love in his heart. And when you cry out to him, confessing your sin and acknowledging through Christ's death and resurrection that he's made it possible for you to have a relationship with him, when you pray to him, seeking forgiveness and relationship with him, God will answer. God loves to answer the prayer of a heart of repentance and forgiveness. And so when we pray, brothers and sisters, may we pray with our faith and belief. Faith as small as a mustard seed, but faith in his promises. May we pray with earnestness and conviction. May we pray with power and expectation. And not just pray with the language or the words of prayer, but pray with a spirit of prayer and a heart of prayer. Ask God that your prayers may be continually inspired and led by the Holy Spirit. Ask that your prayers uh, may be filled with godly desires from the heart, that God may hear the earnestness with which your prayers are prayed, and that we should remember that our prayers may be used as a powerful weapon in the outcome of his will and may shine a bright and wonderful light to the glory of his name. Amen. Will you please join me in prayer? Lord God, we come to you in prayer, knowing that you hear us, no matter what words we use or how we pray. We thank you for that, Lord. We ask that we may take these pillars of prayer and apply them to our lives every single day so that our prayers may become instruments for your will. We know there's times we struggle to pray with the right desires and we don't appreciate the power of prayer as we should. But we ask that through your spirit you may fill us with all these good things, that we may humbly come to you in repentance, seeking forgiveness. We thank you that Christ has made it possible for us to even come to you in the first place. And we ask that for every one of us here today, that we may have a strong, faith-filled, powerful, heart-filled prayer life from now on. It's in Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen.